0: Hi everyone, this is Meredith Root and welcome to the Afternoon
1: Snack Podcast brought to you by Tactic Nutrition. Hi, I'm Alex Parker, owner of Tactic Nutrition, former lawyer, CrossFit Games athlete turned health and fitness geek. I'm also into health and nutrition, a more recent CrossFit Games athlete,
0: co-owner of Tactic Nutrition and former engineer. We are here to have fun, engaging conversation about some of our favorite topics, including nutrition, health,
1: Coaching, motivation, and of course, CrossFit. Our goal is to give you something to think and talk about and hopefully make you laugh along the way. Are you okay? Yeah.
0: You like, you like came back from the dead off the couch to come up here and re- record this podcast. So I just want to make sure you don't need a snack or anything <sighs> before we get going. And just so everyone knows, it's, uh, Tuesday, July the 20th, 2.55 p.m. Um, I guess you had a hard run. You want to tell everybody about your run this morning?
1: Yeah, so I've been, like, building up my distance. I feel like it's earlier than what, like, a normal program would build you up. But I still have, like, two and a half months until my marathon, and I ran 28 kilometers this morning. And for... The Americans out there, what's that in Freedom Units?
0: Um, I have to calculate it, give or take, probably
1: around 16 miles. It's 0. 0.6, right? I don't actually know. It's 16.8 miles. Yes, I was close. So, yeah, I'm just a little on the tired side. And it's
0: like, it's a little, It's it was a pretty smoky on Sunday and yesterday, it's less smoky here, but I don't know if you noticed. I noticed when I was running, I was getting a lot more, like, sort of drainage into my throat. I was, like, spitting a lot. I don't usually, like, do that. Didn't notice. Mm, maybe that's just a me thing. But it's definitely still a little bit smoky Yeah. here. I feel like it, it rained a little bit, which helped kind of get it out of the air, but I still noticed it a bit. Yeah.
1: I feel feeling good, though. That's good. No um, issues. What was
0: your pace... 4.58 per kilometer. So that's around, uh, like seven
1: something 50. Yeah. Probably just under eight. If yeah. I had to guess. And so that's like, going to
0: be your, that's your goal pace, right? For the marathon. Yeah. I need to be sub five to achieve my goal. So sub five, five minutes per kilometer, which yeah. is a sub eight minute mile. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. That's quick. You look good out there. I did uh, a much shorter workout running workout. I had, uh, five sets of two kilometers at my half marathon pace with two minutes between each. So I kind of just ran back and forth. Yeah. But so you were done.
1: I was done way before you were. I had plans to get out there at like nine and then run to like 1130. But then I didn't get up to like 730 and then did some work until like 10. Yeah. It was fine. Um,
0: Did you notice anything like... So we just got back from Fernie the like basically uh, like five days of mountain biking. Do you notice that in your legs at
1: all? No. So I think since we didn't really do any other working out, I just ran and we mountain biked. I was feeling, feeling fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That was a cool trip. Fernie. Yeah, it was. So basically Fernie is this small mountain town three hours south of calgary like southwest yeah and it's in bc it's in bc and it i don't even know what are what's the population like 2000 yeah actually i looked it up because i was trying to figure out what
0: the kind of the history of the town was so fernie is an old like a coal mining town and there's still like still the big industry there is fossil fuels so it's it's a very like singular town with a single income source, and so it's small, and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> uh, but it's so the Elk River runs through Fernie. That's like the main water source, I guess. And there's like logging and stuff that happens there too. Like they, um, you know, they're they're logging some of the forests that were, that are around. But it's a very like when you compare, um mountain towns when you compare Fernie to like Canmore there's a huge difference Mm -hmm. because there's just so much more like uh I guess money in Canmore which makes sense because Canmore is like an hour less than an hour from Calgary and it's on the way to Banff so it's just like there's tons of money there people buy you know people from Calgary buy houses there Fernie's a little bit more I guess off the beaten path I would compare it probably to Golden Mm -hmm. most closely yeah,
1: yeah, but it's great um, I spent, when, so when I was in the national team for alpine ski racing we spent a whole summer there as a team, there was like 12 of us girls and then I think there were 12 boys and we just trained there for the whole summer in mountain biking so I took Meredith last there last year for some mountain biking for her birthday and it was only a three day trip but it was super fun so we decided to go for a bit longer and we went Oh, excuse me. <laughs> we went like we mountain bike almost every day except for one day we went white water rafting. Yeah. Yeah. Which was freezing. And yes, we were wearing <laughs> wetsuits and it still didn't help. And what else? We went to a lake.
0: Yeah. So the f- the first day we basically it was like bike in the morning. Uh, and then at like two, two o'clock two two to three, we went to the lake. Uh, what's the lake called? Silver Springs Lake. Yeah. Which was actually like kind of a hike through the woods with tons of bugs and we went the wrong way and then we were bushwhacking. And And we were like flip-flops. Yeah, because Alex (laughs) didn't bother to look up like, I don't know, all trails are like really a description at all of how to get there. So that was fun. But the lake was good. Um, Yeah, and then the day after we biked, the day after we biked with that, but with friends. And then Saturday we rafted to take a break from biking which was awesome it w- did get a little cold it's kind of windy towards the end but the rafting was really cool up to like up to class uh what class four um and we were in like a little like a smaller raft which is a little more like nimble I don't know I thought it was really fun saw a bunch of bald eagles and two like massive golden eagles which are pretty rare and the one like it was so cool is like sitting on a little like island in the middle. And the, this was when the wind the wind was kind of blowing upstream. So it was blowing at us and it was blowing at this eagle. And like the eagle, like the rafts are coming by and the eagle is just kind of sitting there watching. And this thing is massive. Like I think their wingspans go up to like like six or seven feet or something crazy. So it's just like looking at us and everybody's coming. Then you're just like you're staring at it because you don't see them very often. And it just kind of like, you know, it's like, okay, okay, fine. And it hops up in the air and it starts flying, but it's like, it's flying into the wind. So it's just kind of like flying in place while we like raft by it. It was like the most majestic thing I've ever seen. And then it was like, okay, gotta go. And then it just sort of like turned and flew off. It's pretty cool. Like you don't like, I'm not one for like super touristy activities, but that was pretty fun. You don't see that stuff very often. And like coming through the Canyon was really cool with the rock formations and stuff. I definitely see why people do it. Um, but yeah, and then we biked.
1: I lost my shoes. <laughs> so I wear these old Nano 8s, the really comfortable ones. They're old. Like, they're, I can't use them for CrossFit anymore. They're kind of punched out. And I wear them like they're my just, I slip them on, literally going anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. And I don't need to do the laces up or anything. Had them for a while. And I wore them to rafting. And then we switched into water shoes, so I put them in the car. And then when we got back home, I was wearing my flip flops because I had brought my flip flops to the to the river, like in the van. And then I I, I was changed. So we got back and I guess people like rev- sit around and like look at all the photos that were taken during the raft, like the rafting, which I'm like, hey, I don't really want to do that. So I like started on changing and getting my bathing suit off, had my shoes outside my car, And then I was like in the car, like changing my shorts. And I looked at Meredith. I'm like, I don't really want to stay for the photos. Can we just (laughs) leave? She's like, yeah, let's leave. And like, I'm in the middle of changing. So I'm like, let's go. And we just like peel off. Probably ran over my shoes on the way out. But I was too embarrassed to go back. Because they were just like probably left in the parking lot. Yeah. But. It's such a like old
0: school, like they've done that forever with rafting, right? Like there's somebody that goes with you that has a camera and they take pictures and then they try to get you to buy the pictures. And I'm like, look, it's like 2021. Get with it. Like the best thing you can do from a marketing standpoint is put everything on
1: Instagram and just let people share. Because then people are going to do it. Yeah. It's so silly. Anyways, I was like, there's not really going to be much to see. I mean, we basically all look the same because we're in these super dorky, big red helmets sunglasses uh wetsuits and life jackets so like everybody looks exactly the same yeah exactly (laughs) and Um, also there's like other random people in our boat so it's not like it was like a family affair yeah and we need it for like family photos or something
0: maybe maybe we'll do it again later maybe ivy will come next time yeah okay (laughs) So that would go great yeah and then saturday night after we went rafting we went and watched uh, like the there was like a downhill mountain bike a pretty big mountain bike race at Fernie Alpine Resort and uh you know it's it's kind of cool to see like you know you're right there at a pro level without like doing it that's a joke because they're going way faster than we do yeah I think that's actually the most impressive and it's the same thing with skiing is it's like the course itself Is something that like most mountain bikers can probably do, but the speed at which it's done is vastly different. Yeah. Um, and it was crazy because it was really dry, obviously like BC's on fire. It's very dry. And so it's super dusty. And they were saying it's some of the hardest conditions because you just don't have any traction. Like there's a lot of sliding and like we were kind of down at the bottom and this one of the berms was getting like super rutted out. So these, these guys, we watched them in and they would just come in and like their, their tire and their bike would just slide into this like gouged out area. I don't know how, uh, I mean, a couple people sort of ate it there, but kind of the craziest part of that is we had walked like from the bottom where the finish was, we walked kind of in the woods and that's where their like last two berms were. And then we walked up a little bit further to see there was like a jump in a straightaway and like, that was cool, but it was kind of boring. So then we turned around and walked back Um, so we could kind of see the end where the berms were and that's in the woods. And, uh, a couple minutes after we had like sort of gotten our spot to watch, um, this guy, like one of the racers comes through and he's flying, like probably the fastest person we'd seen so far. And then like, as soon as he comes through the berms, all these teenagers are like running out of the woods. And I was like, wow, a bunch of
1: spectators. Yeah.
0: Um, I was like, man, he must've like either that's someone who's really famous or he's going really fast. Like, that's what I thought. So I'm like kind of looking. Cause they were. And, like, they all
1: started like kind of running down the hill after him. Yeah.
0: To like go see and like celebrate and yeah. stuff. And a couple of them were like grabbing their bikes up off the ground. I was, like, this is like, we're really seeing something cool here. <laughs> and then you just hear somebody um, kind of behind us yell, bear. And so I was like, oh, And so I like obviously turn around and we kind of like we didn't take off running because there was somebody who was just like, calm down, calm down. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, this there was this mama bear and like two babies, two cubs that had just like sort of casually walked up (laughs) onto the crowd of people. (laughs) And I don't know, like I don't know if she kind of like, you know, like huffed at one of the kids or charged them to get out of the way or something. But obviously freaked them out so they took off running. But we saw them um, kind of through the woods just and they were just walking by, um, which was pretty cool. The babies were really really, really cute. They're just like little balls and they're just kind of like beep bopping <laughs> right behind mom who's you know leading the way. But it was cool I't haven't, I haven't actually seen a bear since I've been here. so like mm. that was the first one. Um, and it was brown, but it wasn't a grizzly bear, it was just a black bear. That is brown a weird name naming system when you can have a brown black bear but um that was what she was probably maybe like 30 or 40 meters away would you say Mm -hmm. pretty cool close enough that's close enough Mm -hmm. but uh yeah so that was kind of not the highlight of the trip but a neat thing that happened so anyways
1: so the trip to Fernie kind of spurred this topic, the topic of this podcast, because Meredith doesn't really track her food anymore. And we'll talk about that. I still do. But I took the week off tracking and we kind of went into the the trip whenever I go on vacation. Um, usually we prepare a lot of our meals at home. So we definitely breakfast and lunch. And then even like if we're gone for a week, we'll still do dinner at home. We usually stay like in an Airbnb. Um, but this trip was a little different. We just were like, you know what? We're going to bring enough for kind of breakfast and then plan to eat lunch and dinner out because we were out and about mountain biking and there were some healthy spots and things like that. So um, and I have a lot of clients who go on vacation and they don't want to track and that's totally fair. And we talk about ways that they can kind of stay like on track without having to track or having to prepare all their food and just make healthier choices so that they come back from vacation and they've enjoyed their time there and the the restaurant food and time with their family. But also, you know, don't come back feeling like they were completely overboard and gained five pounds and things like that. What I noticed, and it has been a while since I've done something like that, where I've eaten at restaurants a lot, and I always choose pretty healthy foods. Like at lunch, we had like a salad and with chicken and a cookie and then a smoothie. And then at dinner, I would I ordered like we had sushi one night and then we we ordered some we were kind of eating pub food. So I would get sweet potato fries and then kind of like a chicken noodle salad. And by the end of each day and like I was eating carbs and stuff during our mountain biking ride and breakfast was the same as always oatmeal and chicken sausage. By the end of the day, I was like, I don't I literally have no idea how much I've I've had to eat. Like I feel fine. And I go a little bit by feel but it's hard because you're out and about and you're eating different foods at different times, you really have no idea how much you're eating. And you especially, like for me, I was definitely not eating enough protein. <laughs> like normally I normally like 140 grams, like I barely was probably eating like 90, just because the s- protein portions are pretty small when you eat out at restaurants. So anyways, I was talking to Meredith and I was asking her like, and we get this, we have people who will say like, I don't, I don't want to track my food. And I was asking her like, why, why don't you track your food? Like, what is it that may, like, why doesn't a person want to track their food? And like, you'll say, well, why not? And it's, you know, the answer is like, you know, those sometimes like, I don't want to be on my phone or yeah tracking is hard. Like there are multiple reasons, but it, we're going to kind of like, look into the question of like, well, why doesn't, somebody want to track their food when do they not need to track their food and like what what does what is the vehicle of tracking I guess
0: well for me so like since you posed that question again like in my mind there's a big difference between like my decision-making process and the decision-making process of like people who are just starting out like it's it's not that I don't want to track macros it's that I don't have to track them and there like there's a few reasons for that number one because I tracked my food for many many years um, I can pretty much track it in my head without having to put anything into an app so like I could probably come within 10 to 15 grams estimating of like what like that's my estimation. And what is reality? Like, that's how close I can probably get. And then this, the second reason is partially because you track your macros. And it's because I know what your macros are. And I know like we eat it, like two out of three meals are the same for us. Um, I can pretty much assume that if you're hitting your macros, I'm hitting my macros as long as I eat a, like a little bit extra here and there, because I eat more than you do normally. But that's a big, like, it's not that I don't want to. If I didn't, if I wasn't as experienced, I didn't have you, I probably would. Like, because I want to still be on track. I want to still be in control of my food, but like tracking macros is simply a redundant tool for me at this point. So I don't do it because I don't have to do it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a big, that's a big difference. Yeah, so when someone says, Like you get the, and we're not calling anybody out. I mean, we see this time and time again, you get the, like, um, I didn't, I didn't track, but I, I was, uh, I ate the same thing or I ate well, I ate well. And I'm like, okay, you've been tracking for like two months. So, or that like, oh, I, 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 I'll, I'll go back and I'll log my food. And like, I don't, I don't want to be skeptical of people, but I know, It's really hard to do that. Well, they've done, like, dietary recall is a
0: really, like, we are, as a, like, as human beings, really bad at that. Like, 30 to 40% underestimation, typically. That's what we see. And you even see, like, like, people who should be really good at estimating foods. Like, they did, they repeated the, there was a study done back in... I don't know, it's been a number of years now, but it basically is on dietary recall and how large the percent error is there. And the reason why it's important is because, um, and this could be a whole nother topic, but I'll just spark notes this. The reason why it's important is because dietary recall is used in in a number of nutrition research studies. So when you're evaluating dietary habits and intake across like a large population of people to make correlations they use dietary recall. Um, so it's essentially a 24-hour food recall. And so they did this study to understand what kind of error is inherent to that method and it's massive. It's so massive in fact that a lot of people won't even consider studies that use di- that use dietary recall because it's like what's the point So they repeated that study um, and in general population people, but also in registered dietitians. So people who maybe they track their food, maybe not, but they've been in the field, they've, they've done clinical rotations, they've done research, you know, this and that. And even registered dietitians have a significant percent error in dietary recall. So when a client says, oh, I'll just, I'll enter my macros in it at the end of the day, I'll do it now so you can see. I'm like, you may as well just not, because like it's not gonna be accurate Mm -hmm. unless like unless you just like wrote it, like wrote everything down on a piece of paper and then put it in later. But if you're doing that, are you hitting your macros? Probably not, because it's helpful to see in real time. Okay, this is what my protein trend is looking like for the day. This is what fat's looking like, this is what carbs looking like. Okay, I'm a little bit high on fat. I need to dial that back for the like the second half of the day, so I don't go over or vice versa people just aren't good at doing that without years of experience. Mm -hmm. I'm good at doing it. You're good at doing it. Like I have clients
1: who are, have been with me for over a year and I see what they eat every day. And it's literally the same. And on a Tuesday, they'll be like, you know what? I just didn't have time. I just didn't, I, I forgot or didn't have time to log, but it's literally the same thing that I always eat. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense because you've been logging for however long over a year you pretty much log the exact same thing every day. And on top of that, you don't have a weight loss goal. So like if you're a little off, it doesn't really matter. No. But for clients who who do that, who I look at their logs and they're different every day, half the time they're not hitting their macros and they want to lose weight. It's like, you're not doing it, sorry. Yeah. Like it's highly unlikely. Like even if you did, you were mindful. Chances are like, you know, losing weight and especially the way we approach it is very, um, conservative and moderate. So the deficit is is small because if you create a deficit that's six or 700 calories, like you're going to bounce, like it's, it's not sustainable. You create a deficit of 250 to 300 calories, which is going to yield like half a pound to one pound per week in a perfect world. If someone's hitting their macros accurately for a long period of time, that's a really like small margin to mess up if you're not being accurate. Yeah, like if you're snacking a little here and there, picking at your kid's food, I mean, we've talked about this, it adds up. If you're like at a restaurant and you log like, you know, you have a hamburger and you have no idea how that hamburger's cooked, and you have fries and you have no idea how many fries you ate and you shared an appetizer, shared a dessert, like that's a moderate meal. but like you, you don't know if that's 600 calories or a thousand calories. Yeah. You don't. I don't. Nobody knows that except for maybe the person who's cooking it, but even they don't care. Yeah. You have no idea how the burger's cooked, how much meat fat is in the burger, how much cheese is on that burger, how much mayo if there's butter on the bun. Yeah. No idea. And so when someone says, this kind of brings me back to my point, like when someone says like, I don't want to track, it's because stuff like that, like tracking requires you to, plan ahead find foods that are trackable make the foods yourself and also like take the time to enter the food in which really I don't think is a big part because it really doesn't take long it's not that they don't want to track their food it's that they don't want to do all the other stuff required to track their food
0: yeah it's generally like tracking macros for most people And even if it wasn't tracking macros, even if it's just cleaning up your diet, it requires a pretty significant modification of like eating patterns Mm -hmm. for most people, eating behavior. So
1: even just making all your food at home. It's not even just eating behavior. It's the way you grocery shop. Yeah. It's making a list for grocery shopping. Some people don't do that and that's fine. But like if you want to reach your goals, like you kind of have to do that. Yeah. And like tracking is kind of the end goal. Like you have to do all those things to accurately hit your macros. Yes. And so we use macro tracking. Like when, when, someone starts out, we don't expect perfect macros by any means, because there is such a big adjustment in order to have perfect, perfect macros. And ideally, if you can track your macros and get to the point where you're hitting them consistently, you've changed your entire lifestyle. Yeah. And that's what is required in most cases a good amount of the time to live like a long healthy life and be like lean and help like yeah that is I'm, to I, achieve the goals that most people set out to achieve. Yeah. Straight up. Even like even if you don't want even if you don't have the goal of having a six pack or you know being a crossfit games athlete like just to live in this world and be healthy like it requires a really big effort from a nutrition perspective. Yeah. For most people, that's the fact of the matter. If you don't want to put in the effort, then yeah, you're going to be eating fast food. You're going to be eating out. Like you're going to be buying prepackaged meals at the grocery store. Um, And you do that enough and you're going to have absolutely no idea what you're eating in terms of quality, in terms of quantity, And in terms of like macronutrient breakdown. Yeah. So like you're probably, most people are eating like 60, 50 grams protein a day because it requires planning ahead to eat enough protein. Protein especially. I bet you most people
0: eat more fat than they do protein on a daily basis. Just in the average population?
1: Yeah, 100%. I would actually bet that most people eat double the amount of fat that they do protein. Another thing I love about macro tracking when um when we have new people start who've never tracked and they start entering in things into their logs, they're like, you'll have people whose fat is like 100, and, for a female, double what they should be at. Like 120 grams. Easily. and yeah. And their protein is like 40. Where does that fat come from? I don't know. Like you order what you think is healthy at Starbucks, a Starbucks breakfast. You just grab and go. You order, I don't even know what they have. It's like um, let's do like a, like
0: one of the English muffin sandwiches with like sausage, egg, cheese. Yeah. Okay. So that's way more fat than protein. And then you also get, I don't know, whatever kind of latte you, you know, a person. But the thing
1: is, is people are like, oh, there's protein in milk. There's protein in cheese. There's, and there's protein, protein, protein in eggs. Yeah. It's another thing. People think pr- peanut butter is a good source of protein. Yeah. So like, as soon as you log that and take a look at the macros, that's a major learning experience. Right yeah. then and there, and so many people be like, "Holy crap, I had no idea. So what does that require of them to do? It requires them to go to the grocery store, buy eggs and egg whites, buy their own English muffins, buy a lean like chicken sausage, maybe some Greek yogurt and berries on the side, yeah, and prepare that ahead of time instead of stopping at Starbucks on the way to work. Yeah, and then really, Take two minutes to put it into your phone. So really, like, my point is, like, the act of of tracking isn't the issue. And I will qualify this, because I'm sure there are people sitting there like, we are not talking about people who become obsessive about tracking. Orthorexic um, behaviors, which is when you become very obsessive over, like, quality of food and numbers and there's just a whole host of issues that come with that we're not talking about those people we're talking about people who are just looking to use macros and nutrition coaching to fix their lifestyle and their health yeah and lose weight a lot of the time yeah so that was just worth mentioning
0: yeah because i think i mean it's important to mention that there is you know a subset of the population who has no business tracking macros Mm -hmm. they shouldn't because it's just going to trigger you know a cascade of negative behaviors thought processes and whatnot but i don't think that's most people i think um just like general population like look around people don't pay enough attention to what they eat period um yeah. So again, it's like, it's, it's, it isn't the the tracking, it's what the, it's sort of what the tracking means from a lifestyle perspective. It's like, just, just tracking your food doesn't do anything, doesn't solve any problems. It's not the tracking that, that makes the change. It's, it's the, the changes that you make in your lifestyle to your habits and to your behaviors that make the change. Cause we have people, I mean, like, I mean, you've had those clients. I've had those clients where, you know, you look at logs and it's like, what has happened here? And it's just like McDonald's logged. It's like Starbucks. It's all this like fast food. I'm like, well, kudos to you for logging this, but nothing's going to happen here until you you stop doing that.
1: Yeah. Do you ever get those people like when you've had them for a while? Like they just...
0: Yeah, I think um, when people fail, like, this is the tricky part, right? And it's, I hate using the phrase, like, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. But, like, that's kind of the goal, right, is to to braid this, these things into the way that you live your life so it becomes less of an effort. Like, I don't have to think about, like, I don't have to practice restraint not going to fast food restaurants. I just don't, I don't go to fast food restaurants. You don't either. I don't have to worry about, like, oh... <sighs> I'm just going to stop at Dairy Queen. Like, I don't have to worry about that because I don't go to Dairy Queen. Like, maybe once in a blue moon we'll stop and get something like, you know, a Frappuccino or something for a treat. We have Chick-fil-A once in a while. Chick-fil-A, yeah. But it's not, like, that is not part of our normal behaviors. Like, that's not something that we do. So, when someone who does do those things on a regular basis, when they when they just cut it, they cut it off and they say, okay, no more. Like, I'm not going to go to Dairy Queen. I'm not going to go to McDonald's period. End of story. Not going to do it. How often do you think that works? It doesn't work very often because it's too aggressive. Like if someone's getting fast food five to 10 times a week, it does not make sense for them to get fast food zero times a week. It makes sense maybe to cut it in half, and just doing that, you're going to like that person's going to experience a positive change and they're going to retain like this behavior
1: that they've had for a long time. Like really what that's required, people are like, oh, I'm going to cut out fast food. It's not like cutting out alcohol where you can literally cut out alcohol and you're fine. Yeah. Cutting out fast food means if you cut out 10 meals, or let's just say seven meals, that's probably like once a day. Sure it's easy to just drive by a mcdonald's but what that means is you have to have food at home so it's not just the act of not going to mcdonald's it's now you have to replace those foods yeah with like grocery shopping like cooking
0: yeah it's it's, like
1: it's a time thing like maybe finding foods and for that your kids will eat yeah like kids like mcdonald's when you go home and you force them to eat I don't know, chicken and rice, like something that will fit in your macros, like that's difficult too. Yeah. So maybe switching from like seven to four. Okay. So now we, on the weekdays, we go to fast food because we have a really tough like schedule on the weekends when it's a little bit more like relaxed, I prepare food. Yeah. And then maybe when I go to McDonald's, I have a salad instead of fries and a burger and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So there's easy ways. I think you're right to like incrementally change things. Yeah. But what
0: I was going to say is if it's not, if those things are not incrementally changed or, you know, kind of woven into the way that a person lives their life, it's like, it's just not sustainable. So what you see is like everything looks fine and dandy for, I don't know, let's call it two months. And then all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. like, boom, there's McDonald's boom. There's McDonald's the next day. Boom. There's Starbucks and McDonald's the next day. Like, it's like, it's like, it just snaps, like it just breaks. And, uh, some, like a part of that is, you know, a self-awareness thing. When you're working with a coach, there's nothing wrong with saying like, Hey, this feels like a lot. What can we do to kind of walk it back? But, um, I think people, there's a lot of shame in saying to your nutrition coach, like, Hey, can I get McDonald's? Cause I really want it. They're mm-hmm. like, hell yeah, you can get McDonald's. Like go get it. Is that going to help you? Is that going to keep you on track? Is that going to make you happy and like want like make you want to continue? Yeah, then go do it like that makes sense. Um, it's when what they're doing starts to feel a lot like a diet and not a lot like a lifestyle. Then that's sort of the issue. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that a person who eats seven fast food meals a week can't eventually be a person who eats no fast food meals a week. Just that trend like that change is not going to happen And and two months. It's Mm -hmm. not going to happen in six months. It's probably not going to happen in a year, but it can definitely happen like over a long period of time. And all of a sudden you look back five years later and you're like, wow, I can't believe I used to eat that way. I feel so good now. And like, I think people just aren't aware they aren't okay with the fact that, yeah, it's going to take a number of years for you to really overhaul your life and to like, you know, get your family on board and get everyone around you in like a healthier state. But you know, it's better to take those kind of small steps forward than it is to, you know, go for a hundred meter sprint and then have to go take a nap.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I, I don't mind when someone goes to fast food. I like, at least at the beginning, if someone's on vacation, they're like, oh, I'm going to be eating out. I'm like, do you think I should track? And I'm like, I think you should try to track. Yeah. You know why? Because especially for somebody who's been with me for a month or two and they haven't gone on vacation and they haven't been eating out because they're gung-ho and that's totally fine. When they go to McDonald's, they're going to see what the, what they've been doing on vacation previously is eating at, and we're just using McDonald's like as a, it could be really anything, um, maybe Cheesecake Factory for dinner, McDonald's for lunch, Starbucks for dinner. Like you log that and you're going to see why you're in the place that you're in needing to lose weight because, and like, again, once in a blue moon, Mm -hmm. totally fine. Go for it. If you're doing that, like every vacation, every day of every vacation, it's no different than like holidays. Like people think like, oh, Christmas, Thanksgiving, like it's an excuse, an excuse. I can eat what I want because it's just a few days. Like studies have shown that people gain weight during that period of time and they don't They don't lose it. So every year when that time comes rolling around, they're just accumulating fat. Yeah. And that's like, so it's like you can enjoy vacation, get some foods, but like being aware of what you're putting in your body and maybe making some changes like You can still spend time with your family and go on vacation and eat out and not go completely overboard.
0: Well, it's kind of like, so we used to go to Maui and I think about the way that we like, and so that when we would go to Maui, it was you and me and then your parents. And we enjoyed some amazing food there. Maui has great restaurants, sushi, seafood, Mexican, like just tons of great food. Um, But that like, It's not the reason for going to Maui, but you see like, you know, you see all these people that it's like they go there just to eat their faces off. But I'm like, you're in Maui. Like there are ways to enjoy this trip without spending it like, yeah, but
1: people are foodies. Yeah. That that's totally fine with me. It's when people are foodies and they don't want to give up that experience, but then complain like, why am I not losing weight? Why don't I look lean? Yeah. I'm like, well, you have conflicting like priorities here. Very like you have two priorities that are completely at odds with one another. Like I'm, I saw this thing on Instagram yesterday and it was like ways to accommodate like a big meal or a hot, like something, a restaurant meal. And it was like, there aren't any, just eat like a normal human being, like eat breakfast and lunch and enjoy dinner. Like it's not a big deal. I'm like, There is nothing wrong with saying I'm gonna eat whatever I want at dinner. So I'm gonna have a smaller lunch and a smaller breakfast. Yeah that's very much like protein dominant so that I can enjoy myself. Like I'm not gonna starve myself because that is a different disaster. Yeah. But I'm gonna eat a little bit lighter so that at the end of the day, I don't feel like I've gorged myself. Yeah. There is nothing wrong with that if you have goals to lose weight. I think
0: that like that one depends a little bit on the person
1: and in their goals. Yeah. So like
0: you, like I've definitely done that. I know you've done that and I can still get to dinner and I can enjoy a reasonable sized dinner and a dessert without like going bananas. But there are some people who the reason they're well, not the reason, but one of the reasons they're in a situation where they are trying to get help with their health or weight or whatever is because they do exactly that. So they think, you know, there's a big meal coming up. They don't eat breakfast. They eat, you know, something small, or they don't eat lunch, and then they get to dinner and they can't stop. They can't stop eating. And they just go completely, completely overboard. And so sometimes with those people, if you can get them to eat, not like a dense meal, but like an actual meal for breakfast, a meal for lunch, they get to dinner and they're not like deliriously hungry. And then they feel they they eat a more reasonable amount and they feel better about their decisions. And so then the next day, they don't go, well, I, you know, I completely screwed the pooch at dinner, may as well go get French toast and brunch with my friends. And then while I'm at it, I'll go get a burger for lunch. Like you can kind of break that cycle, but that like, that is person dependent. You yeah. have to know kind of where you're at and where, you know, the person you're working with is at.
1: Yeah. I just, I was kind of making a po- the point that like all of this, like anti-diet stuff. And that's part, that was one part of it. Can we start the anti-anti-diet yeah movement? seriously not that like, I think, again like-, like there is nothing okay <sighs> i just it's like there, there are these blanket statements like this one that i saw yesterday saying like you know people shouldn't be planning for big meals it's like but there's nothing wrong with planning for a big meal yeah like there is nothing wrong with planning for a big meal because Let's just say a person who doesn't have like, doesn't go completely overboard, doesn't have like a binge eating disorder and they just want to enjoy a meal with their family and be able to share tapas and not worry about how much they're eating. Yeah. What is wrong with eating a little bit less at breakfast and lunch yep. and planning for it Yeah. so that they don't go overboard on their calories because they have weight loss goals yep. or they don't want to feel like a stuffed pig at the end of the night. I think that's like
0: that's fine and in reality like that's probably the best way for most people to go like it's like the the ironic thing about the anti-diet movement is it falls perfectly in line with the the problem in the nutrition and diet industry and that's to get attention in this industry you have to be dogmatic. And you have to adopt and like, you know, adhere to like your specific way of doing things. And there's no wiggle room. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's, it's, you shouldn't diet, period, end of story. Or, you know, if you're going to diet, you should do the carnivore diet, or you should do plant-based diet. Like it's like the, it, the anti-diet thing is so ironically a diet sort of movement. It's kind of silly. Like, but that's just the way that, uh, that's just the way that the nutrition and diet industry, I
1: mean, that's how it's been for 50 years at this point. We put up a post the other day that was titled intuitive eating is not what you think. And I think what happened and basically we just said that like intuitive eating, listening to your biological urges in today's society where high fat, high carb, high sugar, calorically dense foods are widely available you're you're gonna like it's leading to the obesity epidemic this is why tactic exists because so many people have fallen into this trap of eating too much and it's not even necessarily their fault it is absolutely not their fault it's their biology in today's society it's working against us yeah and it's the way that many foods are designed. so like I listen to my intuition, like, yeah, I want to eat cookies all the time. like cookies are so good. I love it. I don't want to eat protein. I want to have oatmeal and honey and um cinnamon toast crunch. like that's what i if I listen to what I want or how much I want to eat, like generally, you're just gonna overeat. Many people are just that's the way they're biologically wired because that's what you needed to survive in. The olden days. Yeah. Like our, our biology is still stuck 2000 years ago mm-hmm. when food
0: wasn't widely available. Like, or chips even if it was, available. it wasn't things that like, you can't, <laughs> you can't overeat and get fat on the food that was available 2000 years ago. Yeah.
1: Um, and so we kind of just reframed things and said, you know, we like to practice educated or mindful eating, which is, you know, you take into consideration how you feel You, you consider what you you know, you consider what you know about what you're eating and this, and there needs to be a portion of like education, which is where macro tracking, I believe comes in. So, you know, at McDonald's, okay, so this has this many calories. This has this many calories. Which one should I opt for considering my goals? That's mindful eating. Or you're at a dinner table. Like I probably shouldn't order this whole dessert myself. I'm going to split it with my friend. Yeah, that's mindful eating and in, intuitive eating is like this anti diet, like eat what you want, enjoy life, blah, 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 eat what you feel. health at every size, whatever. Sorry, but not sorry. <laughs> and these I guess somebody in this intuitive eating world po- po- probably reposted it on their story poo pooing it. And we just started getting comments from like, I think there was one that was actually like at intuitive dot eating yeah and it was just like you guys are just you know you haven't seen all the research about intuitive eating and
0: this and that and and how and how macro tracking can cause more issues the 125 you know articles and i was like are they article are they
1: research papers are they articles i think they're probably articles and 125 that's That's not not very very many. many (laughs) <laughs> like there are probably many, many more articles on the fact that people doing whatever they want from in regards to nutrition and not being educated and not being mindful and not having any semblance of what they're eating yeah. is causing actual issues. Yeah. And there are, yeah, there's way more evidence supporting that statement. Exactly. So anyway, um, but yeah, I think that, I think my time in Fernie I just I was I was mindful of course but you know as somebody who's tracked for many many years and still tracks on a pretty um, consistent basis I was like it kind of made me think like when my clients say like oh don't worry I, I was mindful I'm like what does that mean though yeah like I guess maybe I just need to start asking more specific questions like mindful how yeah like, like what, what did you order at this restaurant and why yeah and there's they
0: probably will like some of them, some people probably do have good answers mm-hmm. and you'd be like, okay, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And then other people, it's, you know, maybe they'll waffle and they won't have a good answer and then it's like, well, do you actually think that like you were mindful and you made the decisions that you wanted to or, um, yeah, you know, do we need to work on maybe building the base a bit more?
1: Yeah. And to be clear, it's not like I'm super skeptical or like I think all my clients are out being bad when they're not tracking their food or they're lying to me. That's for sure not the case. I mean they know that in order to get anywhere honesty is the best policy but i i think i think there's almost like kind of what to what you said before about the like accounting for what you ate like dietary yeah. recall yeah it's almost like you don't know no like you don't know that you're not doing it right and so having that conversation yeah and having this like doing this podcast it's kind of like going to be a wake up call for a lot of people who are like, oh, you know what? I do. I do that. Maybe I haven't been as like yeah, accurate as I should be. Well, it's fine.
0: Like, I just think uh, when things aren't progressing in the way that you want, and this is just a generalization. This isn't targeted at our clients or anyone's clients, but you know, with, with food tracking, when things aren't going, when things aren't progressing the way that you want, it's usually a good idea first before making any changes to take a hard look at like, are you being honest and as accurate as you can? Like, because if you're not truly, if you're not putting your food in beforehand or in real time, you're not being accurate.
1: And, and weighing and measuring. Yes. Yeah. That kind. Of, like kinda I know that saying. that sucks. It really does. But like I mean, just a classic example of a tablespoon of peanut butter. Well, even, yeah, like scoop a tablespoon. I'm sorry, but you cannot eyeball peanut butter. Yeah. You can't. Even a, a tablespoon of peanut butter. How many tablespoons are rounded? i mean my <laughs> mine are. are but like that's why i use a scale yeah because like 15 grams look a lot different on a scale than they do yeah on a because tablespoon. all of a sudden
0: your tablespoon is concave <laughs> and there's nothing sadder than a concave tablespoon yeah. so my pro tip is when you weigh peanut butter don't use a tablespoon just you, you don't have to see it put put
1: what you whatever put your piece of toast and then put your peanut butter on top Um, so yeah, like weighing and measuring is pretty important. And yeah, like, I mean, again, we've posted about this before, but like weighing and measuring your food is not natural. We, we are not saying it's natural. Yeah. But the world that we live in is not natural. Walk down any grocery store aisle and that will answer your question. (laughs) Try to read any like Pick up a bag of chips and read anything on the the nutrition label. Like, you think that's you, natural? If
0: you can pronounce all the words on the ingredient list of potato chips, and like, I'm talking like Ruffles, I'd be impressed.
1: Yeah, but th- yeah. So I I guess I'm just if people have goals and they want to get healthy and they want to you know make changes for the better, I really do think even if it's not macros and it's calories or, um, you know, even just getting in enough protein, which can help reduce the amount of other shit you put into your, your body. That can make a difference. Like just some sort of education, something, just like even for a short period of time, like we always say, like, we like people to stick around for three months and that's not because like you're going to see huge physical changes in three months That's not because you're not going to overhaul your whole lifestyle in three months, but that's kind of like 12 weeks. Like that's kind of what you need in order to get a decent education on like what exactly you're doing and what you could be doing better that you can take away and move forward with that. And that's doing that doing what you've learned in those three months for the next three years is going to get you the results that you want. Yeah. Provided you actually stick with it. I really think like six months is kind of the... I love when people sign up for six months.
0: Yeah. That's you're like... Just
1: not in a rush. You're not, you know, you're not trying to like get them these crazy results that you, you like I want to lose 20 pounds. It's like if they don't lose 20 pounds or they don't lose weight in the first month, it's not like I'm going to quit. It's like yeah. you've committed to this. You assure them that this is part of the process. And understand that this is like a learning, a learning um, experience at the same time. Exactly. And you have enough time to like talk about stuff. Like this stuff takes a while. Mm-hmm. And you know, when somebody's just committed, you get a little bit of a different, um, experience with that client. Yeah. And not to say that some people don't sign up for, for monthly coaching and have plans to stay longer. Cause most of our clients do stay for probably six months or more, but, um, it's definitely easier when you you know you've kind of got somebody in the palm of your hand for a period of time and they trust you so yep um so that was kind of my spiel but i
0: thought it was a good spiel you did way more talking on this episode than you normally do so
1: um you kind of you were in the driver's seat oh i actually wanted to say one more thing okay when so when would do you ever transition people off macro tracking I do. Yeah. At what point does that happen?
0: It depends. It depends on the person and what they want. Usually if, uh, you know, if they've been consistent for six months and they're making progress, they don't, you know, whether they're holding steady with their health or making progress in the gym, their numbers are consistent and really like sort of never changing Um, if they are asking like, well, what's next? Then I usually say, well, how would you feel about, you know, kind of taking the training wheels off here and seeing if you can do this or feel comfortable doing this without tracking every day? Because like, you know, the goal is to get, is to get everyone to a point where they don't have to use food tracking apps. And that doesn't like necessarily have to happen quickly, but I think one of, you know, and it can happen organically but sometimes people like just kind of need a little push in that direction just to see, just to see if they can do it. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they're like, yep, I can do it, but I'd like to continue tracking for a little while. And it's like, okay, we can do that. You know, or maybe it's like, I, you know, I can do it. I would like to track some days and then, you know, not track others. And I'm, it's perfect. That's a great way to do it. And you do that for a number of months, just kind of see how things go. And then, you know, I've had a number of, of people who never track macros with me. And like, that's a trickier approach. And I have to, you kind of have to suss out, like, you know, is there a legitimate reason for this person to not want to track macros? Do I feel like they can have success without macro tracking? Or are they trying to find, are they trying to find the easy way out? There is no easy way out. You know, they say, and they don't want to track macros because they don't want to change anything in their lives. Then I'm going to probably push that person to track macros because it's a catalyst for change Mm -hmm. because you can't hit your macros if, you know, you're not willing to change some of the things you're doing. Um, but yeah, whether like wherever someone begins, I think the, the ultimate goal is to probably like get off the app at some point. Mm-hmm. With that said, I'm probably going to start tracking my food again soon because you have goals because I have goals and I want to tinker with like, I'm just kind of curious in like a higher carb, lower fat for a period of time. Cause I tend towards like moderate fat, moderate carb. So I think I'm just going to switch things up and do a, like a higher carb, lower fat with the, like the, the running volume and stuff kind of go traditional, uh, sort of endurance type athlete nutrition and see what happens. Um, haven't
1: done that in a little while, but cool. I'm excited. You can eat what I eat, but like more. Yeah. Oatmeal, honey, blueberries, Nibs, nibs, (laughs) yeah, no,
0: thank you. I hate licorice, but I think uh, we were kind of talking this is this is off topic, on topic, kind of over the weekend about like plant based eating and like what that would be like. And I think if I if I were to do anything that's considered not that I think that is an extreme diet, it's not if I were to do anything that's sort of specialty for a while, I think plant based would be that thing. But not like vegan. I would do plants, but still have eggs and dairy. Yeah, that's way easier to,
1: to do from like a protein intake perspective. But I think it
0: like that inherently
1: becomes a very low fat diet. It depends. It really depends. Yeah. On. And then you have to watch your fiber. It depends on what kind of like foods you eat.
0: Well, I mean, if you're going for like hummus and olive oil and like stuff like that. Yeah, your fat's <laughs> yeah. going to be
1: up. Which some people do. Yeah.
0: But if you're going for like lentils, beans, like vegetables, and you're not cooking those in like mm-hmm. you know a bowl of oil, then you're probably okay. But anyways, I'm not gonna do that right now. That'll be a that'll be the next year thing. I think once I once I switch into like Iron Man mode. Oh jeez. Oh god. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, um, any closing thoughts, words, comments, concerns? feelings i don't know did i lyrics. did i talk too much now no. i'm worried of course you're worried because you worry about everything i was just stating a fact that you know usually i'm batman and you're robin on yeah the but also
1: you were spending some time like researching your bug bite well because like, it's sort of getting
0: red and like going up my arm so
1: i'm like i'm not so sure i'm like if talking it's... and i'm like oh, should i keep talking like she's deep into google here <laughs>
0: When I was listening and like this, I know you wanted to do this topic and had your talking points. So I was like, I'll just be the sidekick today. I think it worked out. It was good. Ivy's very entertained. She's exhausted. She was very tired when we got back from Fernie. Yeah, that's always the best. Okay. Um, uh, well, you know where to find us on Instagram, the internet and twitter but really i only use twitter to get the images for instagram but we are on twitter yeah follow us there we're sassy stay sassy um catch us there subscribe if you like it you can set notifications for when new episodes come out and uh yeah if there's anything you guys would like to hear about please feel free to dm us or send us an email on the website and as long as we don't hate it, maybe we'll do it. Thanks for listening. Catch you soon.